I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. I think just looking at individual students and knowing that the things that I talk about in my book, they're not that hard and they're not expensive at all. It's basically just having a shift in thinking about us having a responsibility to all of our students when they walk in the door. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. My name is Debbie Reber, and I'm the host of this show. And today my guest is Kelly Hurt, a full-time working elementary school teacher in the public school system who also happens to homeschool her own child. Because she bridges these two worlds of both being an educator of young children and raising a differently wired child, Kelly has a truly unique perspective on how we can help our atypical kiddos thrive both in school and in life. Last year, Kelly authored the book Boost, 12 Effective Ways to Lift Up Our Twice Exceptional Children, which was published by the Gifted Homeschool Forms Press. So today, Kelly shares some strategies from Boost, which are useful for parents of any differently wired kid, not just those who are 2E. She also shares some useful insights on managing that parent-teacher relationship that can be so tricky for many of us. So I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Okay, thank you so much. And now here is my conversation with Kelly. Hi, Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Debbie, thanks for having me. Well, my pleasure. I'm uh, looking forward to talking more about the topic of educating or boosting two or twice exceptional kids. And even before we get into more of the meat of that, I just want to let listeners know that Though the book Kelly wrote in a lot of our conversation is focused on these strategies that parents can implement in supporting their two-week kids, so many of these are really relevant to parents of all differently wired kids, parents of all kids total, but I think there's a lot of relevant takeaways for our audience. So I just wanted to 
encourage you to, to listen, even if you're feeling initially that this might not be especially relevant for your child. So Kelly, before we talk more about our topic today, could you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to be doing this work. Absolutely. I was a elementary teacher for 14 years before I became a parent. I had a son who um, the people around me were telling me, wow, you know, he's advanced. Have you ever wondered if he's gifted? You know, being a school teacher, I was thrilled to hear that he could be bright. He started meeting early milestones. And then when he went to school, things kind of changed suddenly. And um, I realized that typical school was not going to be a good place for him. I couldn't figure out why. So I went on a fact-finding mission, and I found out for the first time, even after being a teacher for 14 years, what the term twice exceptional meant. Um, I hadn't heard of the lingo, and I started thinking about some of the past students that I had had that really, looking back, probably fit the label. They were really good readers, but they couldn't write. Um, They were very verbal, but reading was hard, socially, sensory. There were things about school that just were unexpected. And so I started finding out about twice exceptional children. I found out really quickly through social media, mostly Facebook, that um, I was not alone. And I started a blog, um, My Twice Baked Potato, to try and connect parents and educators who were all having similar experiences. And also, I wanted to share what I had learned. And then quickly, I realized that my son would be better off homeschooled. And I turned to Gifted Homeschool Forum and between Gifted Homeschool Forum and myself, we created this book, Boost. And my colleagues, now I've been teaching 27 years, and my colleagues like it. I'm getting good feedback. And I'm excited to keep advocating for twice exceptional kids. And you ended up homeschooling your own child, correct? That's correct, which was really hard for me because as a public school teacher, I believe in public school. I still believe in public school, but I do know that for my particular son and for some others, it wasn't necessarily the learning, but more the big school, the echoes in the gym, all of the um, social interaction, and sometimes the needing to be reading the same book. There were just intellectual issues and social issues and boredom that started to come out in ways that just were not favorable. And so uh, very reluctantly and jumping in terrified, uh, we did start homeschooling. And that was about six years ago. And you're still homeschooling now? Correct. So one of the things that you say, I mean, I love this perspective and I think it's a unique one. You know, I've had guests on the show before talking about the challenge of these kids in the classroom and how do we advocate for them? And one of the things that you 
right is that your family's decision to homeschool has made you a better classroom teacher, that you understand parents who advocate for their children and now consider the many ways students can be successful. You also say that it's your job, not students, to change your awareness and increase your strategies. I'm So I love that. And I'm wondering what thoughts you have on instilling that level of understanding into teachers in the public school system who don't have a differently wired kid. You know, you have this unique vantage point. What's the way in there? Yeah, I kind of, I always tell my colleagues, especially around conference time, I know what it's like to sit on the other side of the table. And I know what it's like to be a parent who's worried. And when, even if you you have a first grader, you're not necessarily just worried about first grade. You're worried about middle school. You start to worry about high school. You think about college. Your fears kind of get away from you. And so I always tell my colleagues that parents are are people who are really worried and they just want answers. Um, One of the reasons why I wrote Boost in the fashion that I did is it's short because when I've been at staff meetings before and I see a book and I think, wow, that looks interesting, it might be 300 pages long. And I'm thinking there's no way that I'm going to sit down and read that on the weekend. Um, I really wanted something that was short, that really was about best practices. Going through this experience has definitely made me a way better teacher because it's my job to shift things around. I'm far more aware of signals than I used to be. Signals such as, you know, when you start to have a student going to the bathroom all the time or you have a student that's complaining of stomach aches or you have a student that gets mad and it seems to come out of nowhere. Those are little signals that before I would have just brushed them off. And now it's like, wow, those behaviors are telling me something. Whatever we're doing right now isn't working. And so a couple of the things that I've talked about with other colleagues and other educators is that it's really, really important to know your students as individuals, know what their currency is, know what they value, and really create individual relationships with them because relationship goes a long way. And when you find out more about your individual students, it really helps you learn more about how to help them as students. I have far less behavior problems in my classroom. Now, when I don't group my students together all as one, we are very deliberate about having two different snack and choice times where I can connect to the kids. Um, I can sit down with kids who want to do math facts with me, who want to show me the art that they're doing. I can also give a little bit of time for kids who are feeling nervous that they're not finished with their work. So those are some things that we have done. We've done more brain breaks. We have more fidgets in the classroom. We try really hard not to have the kids on the carpet. You know, I teach first grade, so I try really hard that the kids aren't on the carpet longer than 15 minutes. Um, Those that need wobble stools, uh, we have those. So I think just looking at individual students and knowing that the things that I talk about in my book, they're not that hard and they're not expensive at all. 
it's basically just having a shift in thinking about us having a responsibility to all of our students when they walk in the door. Yeah, I love that. All right, I'd love to then talk about some of the themes. Your book is Boost 12 Effective Ways to Lift Up Our Twice Exceptional Children. And so, you know, I've read through it and I do appreciate it's, it is something you can just dive in and just get takeaways pretty quickly. So as someone who's a slow reader, I really appreciate that. But um, or a busy person. Yeah, or both. Yes, exactly. Um, I tend to give Asher books that I want to read. And I say, here, give me the (laughs) Cliff's notes after you're done. Um, (laughs) But so there are a couple themes I wanted to just um, go into a little more in depth. One of them is communication. You know, I should say that all the themes you talk about, you cover from many different angles. So, you know, appropriate for different situations for different readers. One of the things that I'd love you to share with us is regarding communication between parents and other adults in their child's life, whether that's teachers or coaches, uh, camp counselors. I know from personal experience and from what I've heard that this is something a lot of parents struggle with because of that concern that maybe too much information is putting a target on our kids back or setting them up for more problems. I'm just wondering what advice you have for parents and caregivers who are trying to figure out best practices when it comes to communicating about their child's needs and about their differences. Yeah. So in my experience, some of the kids that typically would be struggling most in the classroom Um, Because I know them well, and I can adjust things, the places that can still be hard will be places like recess or PE or the lunchroom. Sometimes that's because of the social demand. Sometimes that's because of the sensory, you know, the the echoing of the lunchroom or the smell of all the food. Um, My experience has been that when support staff, music teachers, para-educators or EAs who are out at recess or in the lunchroom, they have such a greater empathy when they really know what's going on. I think sometimes when you're dealing with so many kids, we have 740 kids at our school, and when you're dealing with so many kids, sometimes you forget that they're kids with feelings. You're just trying to keep them all safe. Um, Crowd control, really, when you're talking about things like the lunchroom and recess, And my experience has been that when the support staff understands where the behaviors are coming from, it's never a bad thing. I completely understand hesitant parents. Initially, I was very hesitant about sharing some of the information about my son. And I only think that the people that are really pertinent to the day-to-day schooling or activities really need to know. But I think it changes the way that the adults look at a student if they know, hey, this isn't naughty behavior. This isn't someone trying to get your goat and really cause you a challenging day. Kids don't typically, not many kids at least that I've experienced over 27 years, purposely try to annoy the adults. Usually there's something else going on. And and I think when there's so many kids that when the support staff better understands what it could be, they just take the situations from a different point of view. They don't always take what the other kid says as face value, and they listen a little bit more, 
And my experience has also been that they they help the student problem solve in a way that they may not have taken the time to do so if they didn't know the information. If you listen to this show, you probably know that at least one in five children is differently wired. But did you know that approximately one in two women will experience hair thinning? If you're part of that 50%, you are absolutely not alone. But because hair thinning for women isn't something people openly talk about, going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. So why not do something about it with Nutrafol? Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth isn't going to cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow throughout different stages, postpartum, menopause, even for different lifestyles like a plant-based diet. To get your personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes, you can take a simple hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com. And because there's no prescription required, you can quickly get set up online with free shipping and automated deliveries, which make it so much easier to stick with your new hair care routine. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code TILT. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code TILT. That's Nutrafol.com promo code TILT. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it, it makes sense. And it's, again, just good good to hear from your perspective. And, you know, just curious as a teacher, how... Do you prefer to even receive that communication? Are you someone who is open to having those meetings over the summer with anxious parents or just how do you set up a a healthy communication dynamic? Well, I think starting off with the understanding that if everyone comes to the table knowing we're here to support the student, 
We are all busy. We all need to have certain boundaries. We're not going to expect to meet on the weekends, of course, or even maybe do emails on the weekend. My experience has been if you meet and set up those guidelines face-to-face, it goes way better than through email. I just think sometimes tone can be lost and that intention can be lost through email. So if I can't do a face-to-face, I try to at least do a phone call. Um, One of the things that I think is really important about ongoing communication with parents is that it's a balanced approach. I think that parents who parent a child who has had struggles, they don't necessarily need to know everything that's gone wrong every day. I think it's really far more valuable if you focus on a few things that you're going to work on and communicate on and to make sure that the communication is balanced with what is also going well. Um, Teachers are often very busy and sometimes we forget to communicate the news of successes. And I think if we made a point of doing that a little bit more, especially with these kids who have struggled, there wouldn't be the anxiety that sometimes there can be when parents are communicating with teacher. Yeah, just a little note from a teacher goes a long way. You know, just I remember the teachers who did that when when Ash was in the school system would be like, just wanted you to know that Ash had a really great day in music. I mean, that could yeah. go that could go a long way in in and- yeah. Especially if it was something that that he or other students were working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it takes me three minutes to send an email that says, I was so pleased and the student felt so proud um, when they accomplished something that in the past had been hard. And so if I'm going to send an email like that, I try to do those on Fridays, but I try to keep any positive communication on Fridays. Try not to send the negative ones on Friday. That makes for a really, really hard weekend. Definitely. I love that. One of my favorite chapters was the chapter about accommodations. And again, you applied the idea of accommodating for our kids to various scenarios. So one of the things I want to just bring up today, you know, if students are in the U.S. school system you know, who are TUI or or any sort of differently wired kid, they may or may not have a 504 plan or an IEP. Correct. Of course, we also have listeners from around the world where that they have their own systems. So what suggestions do you have for how parents can push for accommodations for their child if they don't have that kind of plan or qualify for that plan. And, you know, a lot of two-week kids, what makes it more complicated is that on paper, they may look like they're doing just fine. You know, they may test fine. Whereas we as their parents know that either they're not being challenged or, you know, they're having other challenges socially or otherwise. So what ideas, suggestions do you have for parents who want to know how to successfully push for support for their child? I think... Partly what happens, um, I'm, I'm talking to my colleagues a lot about trying strategies, even if you don't know that a child is TUI. If you don't know for sure that a child is TUI or that you don't know for sure that a child has a disability, what in the past has worked well or what could work well? Um, there are some 
families that feel very uncomfortable sharing that type of information. And again, I can only speak from my experience, but my experience has been when I know information, it's power. It helps me do my job. But I know that some people have had situations where they didn't feel like that. I try to tell parents to acknowledge that teaching is a hard job and that it is difficult. And for me to say that it's not, I mean, that's a lie. It's a hard job. But our job is to accommodate for individual students. Our job is to make it easier. So I try really hard to talk to my colleagues about, even though you may not know on paper that the student has ADHD or that this student is highly gifted, maybe none of the testing has happened. Here are some things that I think you should try. Try doing some more open-ended activities. Look for more creativity. Are they a really, really high reader? Do they have passions that they're nonstop talking about? Can you somehow make that a plus instead of an annoyance where you're trying to get them to write about one topic and you want them to write about a different topic? Apply some of these strategies where, you know, freedom of of choice, let them choose their topic. So I try still to talk to my colleagues about, I don't care if you have a a quote-unquote diagnosis, there are still accommodations that we can do that are in the classroom. You try them. You don't try them for just one day. Uh, If I have a student that seems to be struggling on the carpet, they really are having a hard time sitting still. I'll try a wobbly stool. I'll try it for a week or two. If the wobbly stool doesn't work, I'll try to do more heavy lifting work. So there's just almost like an an ongoing checklist in your mind of, okay, this this works, this didn't work. Um, We have to be on fact-finding missions always. I think parents worry sometimes that they're going to be known as the difficult parent. And so they're hesitant to ask for accommodations. As far as I'm concerned, if parents have things that work well at home and some of those things can be adjusted to the classroom, I want to know about it. I want to know about the kid that needs to eat more frequently or move more frequently. That kind of information is helpful for me. I know in certain areas, it's hard to get kids who are twice exceptional to qualify because many of the guidance teams or the support teams will say, but they're doing so well at school. And I always think it's interesting when I hear a parent say, well, they're spending all their energy at school, they fall apart at home, or um, they might be doing really well, but the anxiety behind it is really crippling. So I think we have to listen really hard to parents. And then I think parents also have to understand that if you are going to be in a public school, your child is one of a group. And so to make sure that the accommodations that you give could be realistic and adapted to the classroom. I think if you have a teacher who understands that not everybody learns the same way, not everybody's in a box, hopefully they listen and they're willing to try. Um, I know a lot of my colleagues value the information. I so appreciate this perspective. It's uh, it's kind of like peeking behind the curtain a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I 
like a secret agent. Yeah, it's really just helpful because those relationships can be so challenging. And I certainly can identify with that feeling of not wanting to be that parent. I think so many of our listeners can identify with that. And I also appreciate the fact that there are some accommodations that just simply wouldn't work, you know, given the parameters of a classroom and a group setting. So just good food for thought. And just quickly in terms of a child then or a parent accommodating for who their child is at home, any tips on how we can supplement then and to to support who they are? I I think I think the mistake that I made when I started homeschooling was I tried to replicate school. I tried to do a schedule from 8.30 to 9.30. I tried to do different subjects. We sat at the table a lot. I had a, a grade book that looked very similar to the one that I was trying to run at my school. And I realized that that, for at least me, that did not work well. When homeschooling parents really think about why they've taken their kids out of school, or maybe they've never had their kids in school, mostly it's because they really value the individual. And so I think it's really important, especially when you have a twice exceptional student, that you lead with interests and that you lead with strengths. And I think it's important that not to ignore the areas that need support, but to try and make sure that in the day, there's something that can be successful and that brings joy to your child. And then to support the areas that are harder with a little bit more compassion that sometimes you can do at home better than other places. And I will say too, you know, for parents who are listening, who aren't homeschooling their child, so many of the opportunities for diving deeper into subjects or that, you know, through the Gifted Homeschoolers Forum and other online virtual classroom kind of programs, there are lots of kids who participate in those who are going to school, you know, they could even audit those classes, you know, just as a way to kind of dive deeper. I I think the other thing is, I, I think the beauty of homeschooling is it isn't done at your table. It's done in your neighborhood. It's done in your community. It's done at the library. It's also doesn't have to be the seven and a half hour day of a typical school day, at least here. Mm-hmm. And so I think the flexibility is something that is really wonderful, but I know that not everybody can do it. I know that not everybody can uh, homeschool financially. And so I wrote this book with the idea that if you are one of the people that are homeschooling, great. If you can do that, great. If you can't, there are still things that are out there for you. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. 
Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. I'm on the road this month and oh man, am I missing my sweet kitties, Haskell and Lua. They've been a part of our family for more than two years and I'm so grateful they're keeping Darren such good company while I'm away. If you're getting a new pet soon, you're probably already thinking about everything you'll need to buy. Food, toys, a cozy bed, doggy bags or litter boxes. Something you may not be thinking about though is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. So the last boost theme that I wanted to talk about today was fascinate. I really love, I love that word and I love that you included that. So can you... Just tell us about what you mean by that strategy of fascinate. Um, I love this one too. I think so often when we are in a classroom and we're thinking about schedules and we're thinking about deadlines and when we're supposed to finish activities and move on to new units, sometimes again, we could forget about the individual student who is either struggling who either knows the information, who either is just for whatever reason, is having a little bit of a harder time staying focused. Um, I can think of past students where once I knew who they were individually and I knew what their currency was, whether it was Minecraft or Pokemon or hummingbirds, I was able to do something that I call a flyby where when I see that a kid is starting to kind of defocus or kind of struggle a little, I'll walk by and I'll whisper or get real close and I'll say, you know, when you're done with that, I have this great book about hummingbirds. I picked it out just for you. I can't wait to share it. Something that 
gets them over that challenging hump. So when I implement the flyby, people in the past have said, well, doesn't that take them off topic even more? My experience is it doesn't. It gives them just that boost to get through something so that they first they know I know them. They know that I have a personal relationship with them. And I wouldn't do something like that if I didn't know what really sparked their curiosity. Um, And also, it just gives them, it's like a little life preserver, uh, temporary life preserver that helps them through a challenging, rocky time. I think in terms of any kid should really have opportunities where they are fascinated by something new. And parents work hard, but um, if they can find times and really connect to things that are high interest, I think that goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that leads me to a one last question I wanted to ask. You have a chapter about participation. And in that, you talk about the importance of finding mentors for our kids. You know, sometimes parents, we don't really even get our kids interests or we can't, we don't have the capacity to go as deep as they want to. And I also, I, I just was hearing this from parents on a call I was on, you know, last week that a lot of us struggle to know how to even begin to find those mentors. Do you have any ideas on where, where parents can start if they're looking to connect their kid with someone who can go deep on their interests with them? Yeah, th- mentors, that's a hard one. I find it very important. I find it that that's where when you have kids who have the high interest, just like the mentor, that relationship is really valuable, especially to twice exceptional kids. Um, I have seen people have successful mentor relationships that they find through high schools, from colleges, from either coaching, or sometimes, I don't know if everywhere does this, but sometimes there's such a thing as a junior coach who is more accessible. Um, I know high school students who, of course, you know, make sure they're all checked out and safe and, of course... But I've had colleagues, children, who have had a shared interest in things like Nerf or video games. Um, mentors can be found in classes, older brothers, relatives. There's lots of different places. Um, consistency is important, but also availability can be hard depending on who the mentor is. I know sometimes schools, have programs where uh, high school students go into other schools and act as mentors. I think it's really important to have those people. And I think sometimes friends of friends will find out, oh, my brother-in-law works at the computer store. He knows a lot about technology. And whenever you could set up those situations, I think it's really positive. Yeah, great. Thank you for that. So, okay, um, I would like to wrap up, but before we do, first of all, I just want to thank you. This has been really insightful again. I just so appreciate your perspective and. Oh, thank you. I think it's helpful for, for parents who are navigating this and just trying to figure out how to have that positive relationship, but also best support their child and who they are. But before we go, could you just tell us where people can find you? You mentioned your blog earlier. What's the best way for people to connect with you? 
Yeah. So I have a blog that I started to connect with families and also educators, and it's called My Twice Baked Potato. And I'm also on Twitter, and I do a lot of Twitter gifted chats. So those are really the best places to find me. Um, My book is on Amazon, and this month we are celebrating the book one-year anniversary. Hmm. So that's very exciting. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So listeners, I will include links to Kelly's social media and um, her blog and also to the book on the show notes pages. And Kelly, thank you again for just coming by and sharing all this and just for being such an awesome force in the classroom. I'm so glad you're you're doing what you're doing in the world. And thank you. And I just want to say to parents, make sure that you are implementing some self-care. It can be really exhausting to put so much energy into another person. And I think we have to kind of remind ourselves of that old saying where you, you know, you have to put the oxygen tank on first because parents are working really, really hard. And I, I just, I hope parents feel that. Thank you for that reminder. We can never hear that too many times, I don't think. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and search for this conversation. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from the show can easily find it. If you want to support the show and help me cover the cost of production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. To support the show, just visit patreon.com slash Tilt Parenting. Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to sign up at tiltparenting.com on the box in the bottom where it says join the revolution. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note from me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. Again, you can sign up and learn more about Tilt at www.tiltparenting.com. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.